Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Ryan Foy. We're going to be talking about his uh, background uh, and experiences as an author. We're going to be talking about uh, how he got into this uh, entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurial game, his coaching program, and his advice, some gems uh, for those educators who are thinking about uh, becoming an author and leveraging that book for other opportunities. For those who will be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible, will you please introduce yourself, Ryan? Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Will, and, and thanks for having me on your show here today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks to everyone who's listening in today. I'm sure your days are very busy, so thanks for taking a few moments to have a just a nice sit down with Dr. Will and I. Uh, as uh, Dr. Will mentioned, my name is Ryan. Uh, I'm a husband, a three-time author, uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, um, and uh, a guy who's passionate about education, living up here in Ottawa, Canada. So I'm pleased, uh, pleased to be here. I'm excited. And uh, again, thanks for having me. All right. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you would be doing when you were growing up? And how did you find yourself in education? Yeah, you know, Great question, Dr. Will. And when I was, so when I was growing up, I was a big baseball fan. Um, for any of your listeners who know about the, uh, or fans of either the Yankees or the Red Sox, I was a Red Sox guy. Um, and I was, uh, I played first base and, and pitcher. And so when I was younger, you know, uh, I thought someday I'm probably going to be a baseball player. Then I got to a certain point <laughs> when I realized that dream, at least for me and, and growing up in a small town in rural Canada, was probably not going to come to fruition. Um, and that's when I chose to go to university up here. And so I ended up uh, going into a program, a kinesiology program at a small university called St. Francis Xavier University. And it was really my, my passion for movement, my passion for sport, my passion for physical activity and learning about how the body works and and, uh, and really enjoying that, that educational aspect of the kinesiology program that I decided to go into education and specifically jumped into health and physical education. So um, if you were to ask me, you know, when I was 15 or 16, would you end up being a teacher? Um, I would have said probably not. Um, and then even at 25, 26, when I was teaching, if you had asked me if, you know, would I be a part-time entrepreneur? I probably would have said uh, no. So it's been an interesting journey. Um, I feel like everything I do even now as an entrepreneur and, and still working in the education space with teachers, I'm still really passionate about education, still really passionate about physical and health education and wellness in schools in general. But I, I, I'm really excited to also share with you later in the, in the episode as well, just around uh, what I've done with that to kind of build this business and and write books and whatnot. But um, yeah, so I guess that's a little bit about my journey. It's a bit of an unexpected journey. Um, I've had a lot of great people support and invest in me, and I'm very grateful for that along the way. And um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. So what were some of your experiences that actually led you to start monetizing your genius, uh, those experiences uh, that you have had as an educator that have shaped uh, who you are and how did you determine there was actually time for you to take a leak leap into entrepreneurship yeah great great question it's like you know how do you how do you cross that chasm right and um for me it was kind of percolating so a little so when i graduated with my education degree uh, i did teach for a little while in in nova scotia canada and, uh, and then I went and worked in the United States. I was working in Raleigh, uh, doing education in the early childhood space across the state of North Carolina. And I had a lot of fun with that. Um, but 
even when I was doing that work and, and, uh, and even when I came back to Canada and was doing similar work in Canada as a school health facilitator, I was always thinking about, you know, what, what's next, like what's beyond the, you know, the nine to five or beyond the, the gymnasium or the school. And, and, you know, really it was, it was a blog that I started with. I was, I was writing a blog called wellness network blog. Um, it, it had none of this SEO integrated tech that we have now with websites or anything like that. It was just a very basic kind of, you know, I want to pour my passion out into words. And that was something that I came back to uh, early in my career. And I was really thinking, you know, maybe at some point I'll write a book or maybe at some point I'll kind of jump out on my own. But it was just it was just kind of an, a thought. You know, I had a few kind of contractor side hustle things on the go Um early in my career, but it, it was, it was just kind of percolating, I guess, in the background to, to answer your second part of that question around, you know, when was the, when was the tipping point or when was the launch pad that really uh, set me on this trajectory as an entrepreneur? You know, it took me a long time. My, my wife would say I'm a slow learner and I'm a little slow at picking up on things uh, like the laundry. I still mess that up, but I'm working on it. Um, but I was following these breadcrumbs and I was actually, uh, I had left Canada at this point, moved to Abu Dhabi and I was teaching at a Canadian school in Abu Dhabi. So I was teaching um, physical and health education. And I was actually walking home from school one day and I had kind of morphed the blog into writing on Medium, which is a really great freelance uh, writing platform um, that, uh, that I was really enjoying and I was doing really well on it. And, uh, and I was thinking about that. I was still doing a little bit of contract work on the side outside of teaching. And it was really that walk home from school one day um, where I thought, you know what, maybe I need to take a leap here. Like maybe I actually need to create something and step into this new identity. And I was uh, also at the time, it was kind of a, it was kind of a cocktail. You know, I had this, maybe this confidence or this um, runway behind me that I had seen. It was like, okay, there, you know, I can have some success here that maybe gave me that added push, but I was also really feeling at the school at the time. And I know there's educators listening that have probably dealt with this in their career and hopefully they're not dealing with it now, but if they are, um, you know, you're not alone, but I was really just feeling undervalued. I was, I was the school I was at at the time, you know, I just, I, I, I was trying to advocate for more, um, you know, aquatic physical literacy for the students and more entrepreneurial programs for the high school students. And, outreach programs at the local universities to give kids hope and, and to see themselves at these post-secondary institutions. And it was, I was just getting hit with doors, just doors slamming all the time. And, you know, I was, I was walking home from school and I was thinking, you know, I, I feel like I'm only using one tenth of my skill set here. Like it's pretty much go in and teach, you know, roll the ball out, so to speak and call it a day. And I, I didn't go into university to do that. I didn't go into education to do that. I wanted to raise the bar when it came to physical and health education and, and wellness in schools. And I just felt like that just wasn't going to happen at the school I was at. And so it was kind of a combination, I guess, of seeing this runway, seeing this past experience that it really uh, allowed me to actually have a little bit of success, uh, particularly with writing. And then the combination of not feeling valued, not feeling hurt at the school I was at, that really just propelled me. And it was, it was that year after that school year ended that I bought a website domain name and formally created what's now Foy Consulting. Um, and so it was, it was an interesting identity shift. It took me a long time, probably took me about three years from the time I had started really picking up my writing and doing some contracting and things like that before I stepped into an actual okay, I'm an entrepreneur type person. So yeah, for those out there, you know, my regret is that I didn't do it fast enough. Uh, and we can talk more about that later, but um, that's a little bit about how I got where I am. So some of us who have decided to take on this journey. Uh, some of us are writing, uh, some of us are consulting, some of us are, are coaching and speaking and, and leading masterminds. How did you discover that there was a marketplace for your expertise? And what was your strategy for determining 
the type of resources or services that you would offer? Yeah, great question. So back to my earlier point about I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I think a lot of people probably fall into this trap, but, you know, as an educator, you kind of wear a lot of hats, right? You know, you're a coach, you're, you know, potentially administration at some point, you're volunteering, you're involved in the community, and of course you teach. So leaving education and stepping into this kind of entrepreneurship space, I felt like I needed to do it all. I felt like I could do it all. Um, and I realized I was wrong very fast. And so to answer your question, my first year of FOI consulting, I was all over the place. I had Spartan training programs for obstacle course racing. I had corporate wellness programs. I was doing social media consulting and all kinds of stuff. And I was just going in about 15 different directions and really um, wasn't seeing a lot of success. And, and I was lucky enough to be involved in this program up here in Ottawa called Invest Ottawa. And it was a, uh, it was a, a, a national program that, you, that small business owners or new business owners could apply to be mentored in. And I was actually mentored by an incredible mentor. Her name was Carla Briones. And she's a small business owner here in Ottawa. And she was tough on me. And I'm so glad that, that she was. You know, one, of the, one of the first things on our first calls together that she mentioned was you need to trim down what it is you're doing. You need to really focus in on a, on a niche market. And you know, what are the one to three things you like to do versus the one to seven or one to eight things that you like to do? And so it was really, that was right around when COVID had hit that I was in that program and getting that virtual mentorship that really helped me uh, trim, trim out what wasn't working and narrow in on, on what is working. So it did take me a while. Um, and so in that process, learning through that process, I really was able to step into how do I market myself as a book coach? And that was one of the services that I decided I really wanted to focus on is an important part of who I am and, and what I want to uh, bring to the world. The second thing was social media consulting, which again is something I just really love, always been passionate about and have a good experience with it as well. And the third one um, being um, uh, just, co uh, sorry, co coaching in general. So like life coaching, um, potentially, you know, corporate if, if that does come up, but specifically focusing on the individual there with, with, with that type of coaching. Um, and so that was really how I narrowed in. And I've seen a lot of success um, in that, in that, in those areas. So this past year, I was just writing in my journal the other day, one of my goals was to have 100% retention with my clients and I, and I hit that goal. And so for anyone who's listening, it's thinking about, okay, how do I, you know, what do I do? How do I bring, bring these gifts or talents or skills that I have to the world? You don't have to do it all. You know, I, it really it was hard to say no to these things because I'm really passionate about wellness and really passionate about um, teaching and really passionate about all these other things. But I really just had to focus in on um, the core services that FOI Consulting provides and those have seen success. Uh, if, if I could provide a more tangible example, Dr. Will, um, recently uh, this past year, uh, it was actually this time last year, COVID-19 was really hitting Canada pretty hard up here. And of course, there are no vaccines at, the, at that point. And so we were all kind of living just like folks listening in here in the United States, um, just living in these bubbles, right? Just living, uh, kind, of, kind of trying to figure out how to navigate this, this pandemic. And I, was, I started to search around for, for books that are about the remote worker because a lot of Americans, a lot of Canadians, a lot of people all over the world in March of 2020, they were just thrown into it. You know, it's like, okay, one day you're working in an office or you're working in a school the next day, boom, you know, you're, you're told you need to do remote learning. Um, or, you know, or if you work in the business space, you need to uh, be working from home or working remotely. And in my search for books, I couldn't really find a lot that supported the remote worker. There was one really good book at the time that I had read. It was, it was called uh, Remote by an author named Jason Fried. And he was trying to give his book away for free. But other than that, there wasn't much. And so I really sunk into that. And last December, I actually sat down and wrote uh, my third book, which was How to Thrive in Remote Working Environments. 
And, and so to answer your question on how did I find that audience, I was like, there, there's a gap here. Like I'm a pretty optimistic person. I feel like I've pretty decent routines and, and strategies for my own well-being and, and my and, and well-being within my home, but not everybody has that. And everybody was told go work remote or teach remote, but how do you take care of yourself and who's going to support you in that effort? Right. Sometimes we think government's going to do it for us or, you know, whatever the case is, is going to do it for us, but how do we take control of our own well-being in these remote and potentially forever new ways of working. And so that was really when I stepped into that and that book has seen a lot of success. And I'm really grateful that, um, you know, I was able to find that because it was, um, it was a time that was challenging for everybody and to write a book that can support those people working in their home offices that just need a little bit of support, um, some strategies, some ideas that they can take and, and build into their lives to, to be healthier is, I think it's a great thing. So, that is uh, that, that's more of a recent example, I guess I could say, Doctor Will, on, on how I was able to find that uh, that network. So you are from Canada, uh, which has the similarities uh, with the United States, but obviously there are major differences as well. What is the actual business landscape like in Canada? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, it's a smaller market up here. So for, you know, I was listening to some of your other episodes with some other authors and it's phenomenal hearing, you know, their success and, and hearing some of the numbers that they have with some of their success in terms of sales of books and whatnot. And with COVID-19, it's just been so hard. Like, you know, any kind of in-person talk got canceled. I had one scheduled in Bali and we had our flights booked. And then of course COVID hit. So I was like, well, dang, you know, there's, there goes that trip. Um, and so here in Canada, it's just a smaller market. I find um, like you get a lot of, there's not a lot of authors, I guess, in the, in the personal growth space or well-being space, which is the space that I write in. Um, and it's really, really hard to break through in that market. I mean, as you know, there's just a lot of books typically that do come out of the United States um, and, and therefore have a larger market, more publishing houses and whatnot. And even in my, in my quest with my book writing, I was looking at Canadian publishers that publish personal growth content. And it's not, there's not many, I think there's maybe a half a dozen in my search anyway, that I found. So that that's one thing that's, that's quite different. And, and you really just got to take, you can't, you can't get too caught up at least here in Canada. You can't get too caught up in the numbers sometimes because a lot of things I've read or I've referenced or people I follow um, they live in places that are more metropolitan than even Ottawa, or, um, you know, they're just more connected and, or their countries have moved faster with COVID-19 and they're able to get back to do, you know, in-person talks and whatnot, which is still not a reality here. So, um, so that's been, that's been a challenge. I would say another different, uh, another similarity, I think, um, and this could be a whole other podcast on its own, but, you know, we're dealing with inflation, right? We're, you're, you know, the United States is dealing with it. I saw the numbers come out yesterday. Um, we're dealing with it to a lesser extent, but I got an email the other day saying that my book production costs are going to go up 6%. So who owns, you know, who ends up taking that, uh, you know, that bill at the end of the day, right in 2022, when that kicks in, you know, the, the end consumer, right? So you got to put your book sale prices up. And, and I, you know, as you know, you know, it's not all about the money, but it's like, you also, you got to feed your family, right? And so how do you deal with that challenge? So I would say that's something that's very similar. And I think it's going to continue to be an issue for small businesses and, and authors because printing costs, you know, if you want to get things printed domestically, it's, it's, it's a lot of money. So you're kind of forced to, um, to go, you know, offshore for that. A third thing I would say um, that's really interesting that's happening in Canada and for any listeners that are <laughs> that are thinking about moving, um, there's a great migration happening in Canada. As crazy as the housing market is up here, like it is in the United States, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of remote workers that are moving out of the city, and they're getting beautiful homes, they're getting bigger properties, uh, they're they're making different decisions because remote work potentially is here to stay in some spaces. 
So uh, that's been super interesting. And I've been following it in the United States as well, where some states are offering really nice packages for um, entrepreneurs to move there or remote workers to move to their state. So I, I think that's going to continue in 2022. I think you're going to see more of that. And people really want that work-life balance. And so as an entrepreneur up here in Canada, that's been something that we're looking at. We haven't really made a lot of decisions yet, but we're looking at, you know, what does that look like for us in 2022? It's great. It is being in a, in a beautiful city like Ottawa, you know, cost of living and keeping those costs low as, as an entrepreneur is, is super important. And so part of that is, is where you work from. So we're, we're definitely looking into that as well. So as we're seeing more educators start to write books, whether they are going with education focused publishers or some of these uh, other smaller uh, publishers who really focus on educators. And a lot of these people, you know, we see on Twitter or you have educators who are like, yo, I've educated myself. I'm going to self-publish so that I can keep the bulk of the coin without me having to, you know, share with the middleman, you know, particularly if you're, if you're going to say, yo, I can get a certain amount of copies here, but let me focus on digital where people can actually buy those books where you don't, I mean, you go digital, you don't even have an overhead of print. You know, you can just uh, get out there and try to make that, make that hustle with that money. How, have you been able to turn your receipts of being a published author into actually coaching others who want to write a book? Yeah, great question. Um, Super interesting. So my book coaching uh, service, I guess, it, it really, it shouldn't exist, but it does. So uh, and I think one of your other uh, guests you had on recently too, he, he was talking about book coaching as well. And, and it's, it's a huge thing. Um, if you want to self-publish or, you know, I guess publish on Amazon or Apple or whatever, um, it's, it's, it's not like, um, like how, how can you do that faster, more efficient and make less mistakes along the way? And I think that's a huge hurdle a lot of folks um, are looking or staring into, or don't even know they're staring into if they haven't published a book yet. And I ran into that, you know, my, my first book was terrible um, and I learned from it. And then my second book was okay. I got a little bit faster and I was learning, okay, this is how, you know, this is how you structure it. This is where you put it internationally. This is how you get on this digital highway and this digital highway and whatever. And then the third book became a bestseller. So all that to say is this coaching service just really grew out of how can I bundle up all of the experiences that I've had over the last three books, including the mistakes, package it into a virtual coaching package to help other authors get their books uh, to these highways so that they can get money back that much faster. And that's really where, where this grew out of. And again, it, it shouldn't have to exist. But there's just so many ins and outs, um, you know, like having a great cover is a huge thing. Having a great editor is a huge thing. How do you even initiate those conversations? It can be really overwhelming when someone's just trying to write their own book and, the, you know, having to think about all these things. So that's really how how that grew. Um, and I've seen, you know, other Right now, I'm actually working with an educator. She's a she's an administrator looking to do exactly what your podcast is all about. You know, she's feeling burnt out. She's feeling frustrated. Um, she's tired, and she's looking to potentially monetize a hobby. and And the book is going to be the catalyst for that. And so, to answer the second part of your question around, you know, how do you make money off it, or how do you um, keep the costs low? And whatnot. One of the things that that I do obviously is is the ebook option. Um, uh, oh shoot, I just had it. I'm I'm losing it. But <laughs> there was something I was going to say there. Um, but essentially, you know, keeping the costs low is huge. But don't scam on the designer, and you won't want to scam on the editor because they can make or break your book. Because at least for me, a lot of my marketing has been word of mouth. You know, someone reads a book, they really like it. And then they refer to someone else. And that's been, that's been really beneficial. 
I want to come back to this question because there was something really good I was going to add there and I just forgot it. So I apologize. No, no, it's no problem. So what goes into the work now? Cause I, you know, when someone is like, yo, I, I want to write a book. I don't even know where to start. Of course I've read books. I purchased books. I know there's table of contents and, and chapters and all those things. But when a person is like, yo, I got this idea for a book, uh, particularly if you're talking about an educator who's going to be not write fiction, right? And there's not going to be a nonfiction book on, you know, the history of education in Canada, pre-whatever. But this is an educator who's going to write a book on blended learning based upon not only research, but their own practical experience in the classroom. How, what does that work like working with an educator, getting them to sort of organize their thoughts, put their books uh, in an order that makes sense to the reader, as well as them giving, you know, high quality content gems, nuggets that their readers are going to uh, be able to take away from and then implement? Yeah, great question. So the so I've worked with two different educators. Both have been one was kind of in uh, post secondary education. The other one I mentioned has been in administration and of course teaching. Um, one of the biggest things is so part so part of the coaching that I do is I take I take every author through this five step process. So the first phase or the first module of the coaching is planning the book. So. For example, there's one individual I'm working with writing a children's book. So, okay, what do you want? Like, what's the children's book about? What are the undertones within the book? What is the real message that you want to say? Who's your main audience for this? We don't really talk too much about money or market in that initial phase. We just really want to get that educator or that, that soon-to-be author to get really clear on what it is that they want to do, Right. Do you, like you say, do you want it to be nonfiction, fiction, children's book? And then, you know, what are those undertones? What are the messages that you want, uh, that you want to do or want to have? The second phase is the, um, is the, the writing phase of the book. So it's like, okay, this is what I want to write about. So now I'm actually going to do it. And I, I'm a firm believer in that first draft being your, your messy first draft, right? So literally the one educator or the one administrator I'm working with right now, it's just a series of journal notes. So it's a matter of, you know, gather all these journal notes together, pick out the little gems that are in those journal notes, keep everything, but start to organize them. You know, how do you want the book uh, to flow from start to finish? What do you really want the story to start with end with? And what's the middle piece? And how does that, how does that look? And the reason why I say don't, don't get rid of anything, keep everything is because once you want, once I guide the writer through that, that uh, writing process, um, the third option or the third module that I take folks through is, uh, it's, I title it building your empire, but it's essentially, it's essentially, let's start to look for the money around the book. Right. And this is something that's not talked about enough. I don't think, but you know, there's, there's obviously you can make a book sale and, you know, maybe it's a couple dollars you make on Amazon or whatever, but what's the money around the book. And so that's really where we stop with the writing process. So it's like, okay, we have this rough draft. We know what's happening. We know this is what we want to say. What's the money around it? So, okay, now there's a potential speaking opportunity. What would I speak about? Okay, now there's my social media branding. What do I want that to look like? Um, you know, updating my profiles. What do I want to say as an author? How do I step into this new identity for people to take my messages seriously and contract me and pay me to come in and share my story. So we really pause at that section of the coaching and really talk about that. And I think that's really where a business can form, right? Depending on the, the message, depending on the market, um, that, that can be really huge. Then the fourth piece is the actual publishing. So then come back together. We have the editor goes through everything. We have the formatter goes through everything. And then it's like, okay, now you got to go through the publishing process. So what highways do you want the book on? Do you want a hardcover, audible version, ebook version? We, we narrow in on that and get it out the door. The last phase or the last module of the coaching is the marketing. Okay, so the book is out there. How do you want to market it? So positioning yourself uh, on podcasts, 
you know, how do you even get on a podcast that, that, you know, we talk about that. Um, and it, you know, just really stepping into that new identity because it really is an identity shift. You know, I'm in a few groups, uh, online with, with other self-published authors and literally every day people ask the what questions, but there, you can, you can see that they haven't stepped into the identity of being an author. And I'll talk about this a little bit later too, but really it's about, uh, it's just like anything, right? It's like the best UFC fighters in the world step into the identity of being the best UFC fighters in the world, right? The best athletes in the world step into, okay, I'm the best athlete in the world. And they step into that. And, and so if you step into this identity as I'm an author, and this is what I have, and this is what I want to say, there can be lots of great opportunities to flow out of that. So I would say with educators, the biggest thing is, is that planning process, the writing process, building the money around the book and excavating that publishing, and then focusing the latter part on the marketing for sure. Mm. I want to ask you, since you brought up that identity piece, uh, Jay-Z says uh, in public announcement, uh, I'm a, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man, right? And so everyone, I believe, should approach their career as though they are a business, whether you're going to become an entrepreneur or maybe you're going to be, be an, an entrepreneur, but take greater control over your career in terms of if you're an educator and you're working at this school, and this school isn't investing in your professional development. This school isn't a place where you can personally grow as an educator or where you can actually move into certain positions that are going to help you sort of fulfill that itch you have that instead of languishing there, being an entrepreneur, being a business of one, understanding that you leave and you go find that place where you can actually grow. But on the flip side, since we're all since we're talking about educators monetizing their talents, you can't just write a book. You can't just put out a course. You just can't do X, Y, and Z because you are a business. Just getting it out the door does absolutely nothing. I mean, you can pat yourself on the back like I completed this project. But understanding that you are a business, that is a different mindset. So when you talk about the identity of being an author, uh, if you will, speak to the identity of being a business. So understanding that as a business, there are certain, uh, not only a mindset, but there are actions behind that mindset that need to take place. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the Jay-Z quote. You know, he's got a fascinating story. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but you know, even his, his story about his lyrics, right. And how he got his, like, I think he got his book stolen or something. And so then he just decided he would only ever memorize his lyrics and just beautiful how, how talented he is. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, it's an identity shift. And that's what took me a lot of time. You know, I was 30 when I published my second book and I literally had people say, not really say, but in, like, like almost hint that I was too young to be an author. And that really played with my psyche. I was like, well, what, what does that mean? Like, should I be older? Should I have waited? Um, like, I, you know, did I have to reach like a certain status, you know, to be, to be an author? And, and it wasn't really until I would say a year and a half ago that I really stepped into this author identity. And you, when you start to work towards that new identity, you create a future identity. And there's a really good book, um, Atomic Habits by James Clear, that talks about this, right? Like every, every, every decision you make is a decision for your future self. And so one of the things that I've recently done is I felt like I was getting really stagnant as an author and as a, as an author that has a business. So one of the things that I started to do was um, thinking back to another great book by Darren Hardy called the compound effect, which is essentially, if you do one thing a day, it can lead you down this, this specific path. So one of the things I said in my journal was I'm going to do 365 things in 2022 for my book. So it's literally every day I'm going to do one thing. So it could be sharing it in a thread. It could be 
you know, contacting a local bookstore. It could be, you know, getting into a magazine for an interview. It could be getting on a podcast. So you're absolutely right. You, you know, there, there's the book or the product itself, but there's what, what are you doing to drive it? You have to be able to move it. And another really fascinating and, and great entrepreneur who has been my mentor in the past, he told me this and it was profound for me because I, I just didn't see it this way. But he said this, he said, you can hire a chef to cook your meals or you can cook your meals yourself, but either way you have to eat. And in the context of that statement, he was talking about your marketing. He's like, you can mark, like you need, you need to, you can hire somebody to do it and be the person behind your book or the business behind your book. It's going to cost you a lot of money, or you can be that person. You step into that identity, push it out, do one, two, three, whatever it is, items a day to really treat it as a business, move it forward, drive it forward. Um, but either way, you got to do it. So <laughs> it was, it was very profound for me. And then I realized, okay, the buck stops with me. And uh, if I, you know, if I'm going to have a productive and uh, successful side hustle here that, that I need to step into it a little bit more for sure. So I'm going to circle back to the whole sort of ebook, a digital thing, because I am a digital first person, whether it is education or in you know what I what I what I buy, right? If I'm going to buy a physical copy of a movie, it's going to be something where okay, it's a a Black Panther, it's or uh, the Hidden Figures, something where I go okay, these are projects featuring Black people. I need to put my money on it so that they make money, so hopefully more projects will come out, but normally if there's something that i'm digging i'm like okay boom i'm going to buy the digital copy of it uh especially books i am just like 99 of what i buy of a book it's a digital book because i get to take that book with me wherever i go yeah you can take a paper copy but on my phone or a tablet that book goes with me wherever i go and i don't have to again Think about carrying something extra. It's always it's always with me. So when you are working with educators, and I'm sort of thinking about, okay, what sort of model am I going to take with this? Uh, am I going to go physical copy only? Am I going to go physical copy and digital, or am I going to go digital only? Uh, which could limit the people you work with because not everyone wants to read off a tablet or a phone. But understanding sort of, okay, this is who I am, what I want to do, the platforms I want to work with, the people that I want to work with, sort of what goes into that work of sort of figuring out what is going to be the pathway to get your book out to your readers? Yeah, very great question. Um, you know, the way I've, I've done it with, with my clients is um, I show them all the options, right? So here's your Apple iBook option, here's your Google Playbook option, and really work with them to narrow in on, you know, what can they manage? Because when I step away as a coach, sometimes you still got to manage these things, right? So, you know, if you're on Amazon, you got to make sure you're claiming your taxes or whatever. If you're on Apple, you got to make sure there's certain things and standards and whatever. So oftentimes the book ends up being digital. Absolutely. And, and I try to encourage that as much as possible because you're, you're absolutely right. And that people can take it anywhere. Audiobooks is another thing, right? People can be driving, they can be listening to the audiobook. I think that's going to continue to be a huge market for anyone that has a book or is looking to, to publish a book. Um, the biggest thing, like if you, if, 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 some of your audience are listening and they're teaching and they're doing these things on the side or they're writing this book on the side is you want to set yourself up so you don't have to manage a lot. And what I mean by manage a lot is the op like, like those operational side of things. Like if you put a digital book out, you can just, you could be sleeping and get a sale, right? You could be teaching, get a sale. 
if you if you're dealing with you know i've ordered 2000 hard copies of my book to my house you're still teaching monday to friday and coaching or you know administration or whatever it is you're doing you got to physically get in and get into places like barnes and noble whatever get these books out um that can be a lot so you want to set yourself up for success not get bogged down with some of that overhead and just focus on okay if i can't leave my job yet or not ready, I don't have enough money or whatever yet, save to do that, get it out as a digital copy, absolutely. And then uh, allow those revenues to start to come in and then maybe down the line, um, publish a, a different version. And, and I did that once, like when I was, um, when I was publishing my, my last book, I did the, the soft cover first and then I decided I wanna do a hard cover. And, um, and so I, I knew I had the time to do that, but if I didn't have that time, I would have left it. I wouldn't have, have come back to do the, the hardcover because it is a lot to manage and, and you don't want to get too overwhelmed in those details for sure. Another thing, what I like about the digital copy of the book is that you can actually embed links in there. Right. So if you're like, wow, I have a special interview that will be available only to the people who purchase this book or additional uh, tutorials or uh, audio content that I want to do. You can actually put that in the digital book and you can't do that on the physical book. Now, maybe you can say, hey, go to this page to do X, Y, Z, gain access. But I like that you can actually embed that type of content uh, there. So I want to now ask you about like your your goals right when you are in this and for a lot of educators that i have spoken to and have had on the show they never had the intent of this being what they were going to be doing with their life right they just happen to uh be doing this work in their classroom they start to present at conferences And then they run into somebody who says, hey, can you come speak at this conference here and we can pay you this? Or can you come to our school because you did a a phenomenal session? Can you come work for our, come do this for our teachers and you do this? And all of a sudden they find themselves at a point where like, oh, am I going to do this for real? And so now they have to think about the whole idea of not only being a business, but creating a business and running a business. So what are some of the goals that you set for yourself as an entrepreneur? Because, you know, once you've decided this is what I want to do, you got to put in work and really think about, become more self-aware of where am I going to take this, right? And, And not just you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's not willy nilly. It's not like you being a being a teacher. Uh, please don't come at me on this when y'all hear this. But it's not like you being a teacher and you going to that trusty Google Drive folder, or you going to that uh, box you have in your classroom and, and pulling out these handouts that you've been using for the past you know, five years that, you know, are there, this takes a different type of planning. Yeah, absolutely. So want to back to the, the time that I had the, the virtual mentor, Carla, she, she gave me some profound advice and this was at the height of lockdowns and small businesses, brick and mortar stores were just getting destroyed and she owned four of them. And she told me, she said, you know, Ryan, I used to set yearly business plans for all four of my businesses. Now I set quarterly business, like she still has the overarching business plan, but quarterly goals for what do you want the business to do? Because public policy was changing every week. It was was like, you're open, you're closed. You have five people in, you can't. Uh, Schools, same thing, right? Hybrid learning, not hybrid learning, do both. Uh, it's just so hard to, to be on top of everything as an entrepreneur or, or whatever your passion is. So one of the things I started doing is she sent me this beautiful quarterly goals template sheet. And so I would print them off and set them for the year. And so I have to do that for, for January now. But 
Um, every quarter I write down four of my goals. How am I going to achieve those goals? And what is the intended outcome? Uh, there is kind of a, a pre thing or a pre piece to that, which is how are you going to work towards those goals? And every now and again, I'll, I'll, I'll find myself feeling like I'm drifting and I'll go back to those sheets and I'll pick them up. And then I, it does two things. First, it calibrates me to realize I'm really not that far off where I said I was going to be by the end of this quarter. And second, it allows me to adjust. I can put notes in and say, you know, I never really got to meet this goal, but this is why, you know, I couldn't do two in-person talks for my book because we're technically not allowed to do those. So, so that's been one strategy is, is setting these quarterly goals. And I totally recommend that where there's just so much turbulence and so many challenges coming at uh, educators and entrepreneurs right now, setting quarterly goals. The second thing, and this is something I've recently had to step into Dr. Will is find a pace that works, right? Like we, we don't have kids yet. When we have kids, our lives are going to change. <laughs> so the amount of time that I have potentially for my business is going to shift and what I work on and what I spend my time on that business might shift. And so for folks that have families that are trying to step into this, like you, it's not realistic to say, Hey, I'm going to get on 10 podcasts this month. Like you may only be able to have time and space and bandwidth to get on one. And so find a pace that works for you and be okay with that. You're going to see people are having tremendous success or it looks like they're having tremendous success or they're leagues beyond where you're at, but they're in a different, they're running a different race. They're at a different point in life potentially, and you can't compare yourself to them. You just have to do what, what works for you. The third or the third thing, and then I, I have four things. So the third thing I would say is, is word of mouth marketing is absolutely huge. Even in this time, like when we're talking about the digital space, we're talking about influencer marketing and just, you know, the internet in general. Um, I think word of mouth marketing is, is still as important as it's always been, you know, someone hears your show, they recommend it to someone else that still happens. Right. So I think focusing on that and, and don't try to rush an experience or rush a call or, or rush the publishing process because people are going to buy your book and they're going to talk about it. And you want to be the subject of a good conversation around someone else's dinner table. So that's huge. And then the final thing I would say is uh, Jim Collins talks about this in, in, in the book called good to great. And in, in not, uh, he refers to this flywheel and controlling the speed of the flywheel and not running too fast. And it goes back to kind of, you know, work at a pace that works for you, but don't grow too fast. Like I had to check myself on that this year where I just felt like I was, there was a couple moments where I literally had more leads than I had time. And I, I chose to follow up with those leads just to let them know, like, like I'm a year out, I'm a year out from, you know, coming back to, a conversation to take you on as a client because I just didn't have the, the bandwidth to do the work well, which goes back to the word of marketing. You could do it, but if you don't do it well, eventually your you know your business will implode. So um, controlling the growth, setting a pace that works for you, setting quarterly goals, and um, and the word of mouth marketing I think are absolutely huge. Awesome, awesome. So before we go, what is the best piece of advice you've received from another entrepreneur? And what is your advice to those educators who are thinking about monetizing their talents? Yeah, great. that's a great question. So the quote it was actually the one I used earlier. I was trying to save it, but it was too good. Um, but it was the one I mentioned earlier around, you know, at the end of the day, you have to eat, right? So it, it really falls on you. And this was an entrepreneur. He's a uh, his name is Joey Fife. Uh, he owns a, a website called thephysicaleducator.com. Um, and he's, a, he's been a huge mentor and friend of mine. But basically, step into this new identity, uh, be confident in that. And, and, and at the end of the day, whether you hire somebody else to do your marketing or you do your marketing, either way, you got to market. And so stepping into that is huge. I would say, based on my experience and, and what I share with others, one thing I would share with, with listeners here today is, you know, progress over perfection is huge. Like, again, going back to my story, I wrote the first book, it was terrible. And then I learned and I, I was like, okay, now I know not to do this. And now I can do this. And it was painful. It was, it was really hard. It was very vulnerable. And then you come back and you write the second one or, you know, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's writing or a project or a business uh, output, but 
you make the second one better, you prototype that, you test it, you learn from it, and then you create another one. Um, and so you really just treat these outputs or books like science experiments and you learn and adjust them as you need to, you know, especially with eBooks, right? Like you can go in so easily and update an eBook, you know, it doesn't have to be this absolutely perfect thing um, uh, before you, you start working on it. And, it. and there's no such thing as a perfect time either, right? Where, um, you know, you just kind of chip away at it. And the next thing you know, you have a book. So that would be the other thing. The one final thing I think I would say, Dr. Will, because I want to come back to our earlier chat about eBooks and the importance of the digital space. And I think this is coming and I'm assuming this is going to launch this episode in 2022, but for authors out there, the NFT space and what's happening in the digital space right now is absolutely incredible. So my latest book, I actually got it designed as an NFT on the cover. And so there's literally the only one of its kind on the internet right now on the Polygon blockchain. And it, uh, you can set your own price, you can bid it, you can keep it, whatever you want. It's, it's, a, it's a piece of digital art that can only be, you know, uh, that, that one authenticated piece. I think that's going to be huge for authors because at least here in Canada, you technically don't own your cover. Anybody could just take your cover and copy it. And I don't, I'm not sure what it's like in the U.S., but a lot of countries, it's, it's pretty much wide open in terms of authors' uh, risk and being copied. So NFTs can change all that. You can NFT a book. So there's literally an authenticated Dr. Will show in the future coming. So if you're an author or you're looking ahead to this stuff, I would check out OpenSea and check out the opportunity to put your book cover up there as an NFT because I think for book collectors moving forward in the digital space, that's going to be huge. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan, for coming on the show. Yeah, and thanks for having me. And I hope this was valuable to your to your listeners. And um, hopefully down the road, I can come back on and and maybe we'll be talking more about uh, digital uh, NFTs and and what authors are doing for sure. No doubt. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, A, and Audible as well. I need you to subscribe and I need you to share it with your network. And though I am on all major podcast platforms, I'm trying to grow on Apple Podcasts. So I need you to not only subscribe, but I need you to leave some reviews. The stars are awesome. But hey, tell the folks how you love the show so that I can be found. And I'm trying to get Oprah on the show. So I want her to know that we're doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Ryan Foy, for coming on and dropping so many gems. And I'd like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace. <laughs>